Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high profile job, and how that high profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. Ballers with Babies, let's get Brady Quinn in here. You know him as a quarterback. I know him as the inspiration for a good friend of mine naming his daughter Quinn. Do, do you get a lot of stories like that, by the way? Uh, I, I get them every once in a while. We actually just had a, a couple over last night uh, we're close <laughs> with, and he had asked me to, to drop by at some point today to sign something for someone who's uh, got a son named Brady. So uh, you, you get it every once in a while. Typically they're about that, uh, that age that, where they remember me from my Notre Dame uh, days. Uh, typically, that's what it reverts back to. Not so much the, the Cleveland Brown days. Well, that's what I was actually going to tell you next. What will surprise you is this is not a Notre Dame thing. This is a buddy of mine who is a huge Browns fan, and uh, and they were deciding on names right after the draft, and you were going to be the next big thing, man. You were going to be the savior, so that's what they went with. Wow. No, and, and that's, that's <laughs> one thing where I get it from Cleveland Browns fans from time to time, and and I can understand that because, you know, I was an Ohio guy, grew up in a northwest suburb of Columbus, grew up rooting for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so, so I do hear that from time to time. Uh, and, and that's as devout of a fan base as you'll get. So whereas other fan bases out there, you know, maybe aren't naming their kids after some of the players in that team, the <laughs> Cleveland Browns fans, that dog pound is unlike any other. So I, I, I think you tend to get that a little bit more when you're a Cleveland player, especially one that's from the state of Ohio. Uh, we'll get to the crazy life that uh, that you've got going on right now in just a second, but I, I got to ask you this first. You have two sisters. Uh, both are married to professional athletes. I mean, pro athletes just kind of grow on trees around your house in your life or something? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's odd. It kind of works out that way. The, the thing I always tell people, um, Kelly, my, my little sister, is married to the hockey player Jack Johnson. She might give everyone a run for their money. Um, she was the LeBron James of women's soccer coming out of high school and went to UVA on a full-ride scholarship, uh, was kind of in line to go on the national team and play for the U.S., and ended up tearing her ACL uh, twice in the same knee. So, uh, you know, her career was cut off short, but she's right up there with the rest of them. And uh, we always just say that our, my older sister, Laura, she just tends to be the, the, the funniest one. She's kind of the mom of the group. She's kind of the glue that keeps the entire group together when we're all hanging out or vacationing together. And then, of course, you married an athlete as well. So tell me a little bit about the Quinn household today and what you got going on. Yeah, so as of right now, we are 16 days removed from uh, having our, our second child, Tegan Quinn. Uh, we've got two girls now. Our oldest, uh, Sloan, is almost two years old. She turns two on August 5th. Uh, so here pretty, pretty shortly in a couple of weeks, um, but we got two girls now. So it's been, you know, honestly, I, I hate admitting this. I told you before we, we came on the podcast that most people uh, hate, hate parents that kind of brag about how easy their children have been. Um, so I won't go too far into it, but our, our daughter has been an angel. Uh, the second birth was 
even easier than the first one. And the first one wasn't even that bad. So, um, you know, we've actually been able to get some sleep. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed that will continue. But so far, so good. Uh, her older sister has been amazing. Sloan's been uh, very kind and loving towards her. She hasn't really shown any jealousy. Um, so all's all is good in our world. We're just kind of dealing with that playing that man-to-man defense as, a pl- as opposed I, to Mellon. <laughs> I'd find some uh, like a wood cabinet next to you, by the way, and knock on it uh, when you say that stuff out loud. I, I know you know that. But uh, so you're about to get really busy for the the football season. This is kind of nice timing. Be honest with me. I know this is dad to dad here. I know you want to be there with the kids, uh, but you know a little break is nice too, right? The the road is okay, isn't it? Um, not, not quite for me. Uh, I haven't really been to that point. I think most, um, you know, most guys, and, and this is, this is my background, you know, from playing in the NFL for eight years, um, and then transitioning out immediately into broadcasting where, you know, I was doing it, uh, around the time I was getting married, um, kind of transitioned out from playing and the following year was then married. So we were, um, uh, a married couple without children for a couple of years. So, you know, it, it kind of came with, with its pros and cons. And then once we had Sloan early on, I was like, yeah, it's not so bad because at least you get some sleep right. um, <laughs> with our first daughter. But then she got to this cool age where, like, every day you weren't there to wake her up and play with her or, you know, swim with her like I did this morning. Uh, you, you realize you're missing out on, like, a very, very cool event. And she, she, she keeps taking strides, whether it's picking up a new word or doing something different. So, you know, that, that part to me is priceless. I mean, you can't, uh, there, there's not a second I'd want to be away from, you know, either, any, any of my children, even the future ones to come potentially uh, to miss out on some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely um, times when you get excited for what you're doing. And I, I think, you know, my time away, I tend to be uh, very intense and very efficient with what I'm doing or preparing for, whether that's, you know, radio, studio, um, going to games. And so that's where, to me, like I value that because it's really hard when I'm at home to be able to do the proper preparation that I need to. So it's like that flight, you know, that time in the hotel room, uh, the day or two before the game, that's when I can really get a ton of things done and and honestly start to formulate uh, my opinions that I feel like will play out throughout the course of a game. Um, By the way, your wife, Alicia, do do you get a little bit of an eye roll on your way out? How does she do with that? You know, two daughters under the age of two. How how does she do on her own in that situation? Oh, she's a broadcaster as well. So (laughs) so actually, this is how this past season went. You know, she calls uh, gymnastics meets for the SEC network. And as soon as my season ended, we uh, got finished up calling uh, a week 17 uh, game out in it was out in LA. It was the LA Rams versus the San Francisco 49ers. And as soon as I got back, she left the following weekend to start her slate of SEC gymnastics meets. And they're on Friday nights, the thing called Friday night heights. So she would leave on a Thursday. And typically, because it was Friday night, she couldn't get back till sometime in Saturday afternoon because you're leaving from an SEC town and it's at least two flights. Right. So I used to joke with her that like I might be gone 18 weekends out of the course of the year because of so how many games I called. But you know sometimes I can get out on Friday morning, come back Saturday night. Like I'm not gone as long, so I would give her a hard time about how she would <laughs> you know she would basically be gone almost the same amount of days, even doing even though she was doing half the amount of of, of actual events. But um, she she understands just because she does it too. And and this time it's going to be a little different since now we have two. And she hopefully won't feel overwhelmed, but 
uh, as of right now, she's more understanding about it, I think. Uh, but this year, I may, have to, I may have to leave on Thursday nights a little bit more often. So that could um, that could kind of throw a wrench in this whole conversation. Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned future kids, too. So you guys aren't done, huh? Oh, no chance. Uh, you know, I, I told her I, I'd love to have a big family. You know, we're an Irish Catholic family on my side. So, um, you know, we're, we're accustomed to having a big family. I mean, I, I'm one of three. Um, you know, my older sister and brother-in-law, Laura and AJ, they've got four. Uh, my little sister and Jack, they have two. But, you know, there's still a chance maybe they're looking at three. Um, and really throughout our family, you know, everyone seems to have at least three or four kids. So I think we're aiming for at least three or four. Would obviously love to have a boy as well at some point. But even if it was all girls, I'd kind of I'd kind of love that uh, dynamic between them all. Now, when did you uh, and Alicia meet? Did you meet while you, you met while you were still with the Browns? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, okay. I was going into my um, third season with Cleveland. So it was back in 2009. And ironically enough, we had a mutual friend named Jeremy Bloom, who is a uh, Olympic mogul skier. And he also was drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles, played for the Steelers for a minute as well. Uh, and Jeremy and I got to know each other from training in Arizona in the offseason. You know, he was a wide receiver returner. I was a quarterback. So, you know, between, you know, that connection, obviously him wanting to catch some balls from someone and me wanting to someone to throw to, uh, and the fact that he's just a really, really great guy. And, um, you know, obviously very, very philanthropic, uh, incredibly intelligent. I mean, what he's done off the field uh, with his foundation, with Wish of a Lifetime, and he's got a company called Integrate.com. It's it's remarkable uh, for any former athlete. But we kind of hit it off, and he invited me to his charity event in Denver. I showed up and uh, ended up meeting Alicia at that event. Um, but at that time, really nothing transpired. We kind of just exchanged numbers and kept in touch for about six months. Uh, but over keeping in touch, we, we ended up just kind of realizing, like, hey, maybe we should – try to start this long distance relationship and the rest is history. I, I remember Jeremy Bloom. That was the whole, you know, endorsements outside of football while playing yep. football thing because he was a great skier. What And, and yeah, I, yeah, that was a, that was a famous story and, and the whole world was on his side and not the NCAAs by the way. Yeah. And I think for just knowing Jeremy and, and obviously knowing Alicia, um, cause she actually went to Brown university and at that point in time, she was contemplating whether or not she was going to compete at Brown. And because, you know, they need to compete at a world-class level. So they've, they've got to be able to have additional funding for, you know, things, whether it's, you know, for the body to take care of them, a trainer, whatever the case may be. I mean, travel, um, that sort of stuff. And for, you know, skiing, you're talking about equipment. You're talking about all these different resources you need. That, that, that's a really expensive sport. Um, so they've got to receive funding somehow. They don't all come from wealthy backgrounds or families. And, you know, that makes it a little bit more difficult when you're an amateur athlete and all of a sudden, you know, you may lose your amateur status in order to chase this dream of standing on a podium and representing the United States as, a, as an Olympic medalist. So, uh, you know, both for Jeremy and really for Alicia, you know, they came to a point in time where they had to make a decision of, you know, what they wanted to do uh, from a collegiate standpoint. And unfortunately, at least in the case of Jeremy, it was taken away from him and it, which is sad because he was one of the most dynamic, you know, returners you'll, you, you'll ever see. Um, and for Alicia, you know, I think she was probably okay with it um, only because, you know, she needed that time away um, from Brown, I think to be able to focus and, and not have to worry about 
everything else that, that goes on the college life partying and all those other distractions well you know kind of speaking of that time in life i mean i'm trying to put myself in your position here you you're you're early on with the browns couple of years in you're a first rounder new to the league you're in your your early 20s and and you know you you meet alicia are are you in settle down mode though at, at that point yeah, and, and there's there's a little bit more of a backstory. I don't want to get into the whole thing, but well, sure. I, I guess I'll quickly tell it. So okay. going into um, going into training camp the year before, so this is 2008. Um, I was I happened to be at home uh, one night. We were watching the Olympics. The, the Olympics were on at that point in time. Alicia was competing, and the PR lady who's now with the Houston Texans, Amy Palsic. I always kind of credit her with. You know, really starting the start of the relationship between Alicia and I, um, because she had called me and we were just kind of, you know, talking about random stuff. And she had said, Hey, why don't you, you know, I was single at the time. She goes, Why don't you try to date this girl? And she's like, You know, she went to Brown. My uncle played football at Brown. So, you know, she thought that was enough common ground to strike up a conversation. <laughs> and I just replied back, You know, I don't know if this girl has a boyfriend or not. It'd be kind of weird just to send her flowers or something out of the blue. And so that was the end of the conversation. And the season goes on. We end up having a bad season. We go four and twelve. I did get the start. Uh, played okay for the first couple, you know, two games. Uh, played good on Thursday night. You know, I got a win on Monday night football, but I break my right index finger and have to, you know, put in uh, two pins. And so I'm out the rest of the season on IR. So then that kind of fast forwards to the charity event uh, where I was rehabbing and training out uh, with Jeremy, and, and that kind of led into. You know, meeting Alicia, I want to say in March, uh, maybe of, of 2010, and um, you know, being able to just kind of you know get an idea of, or maybe it was 2009, excuse me, 2009, um, and you know, at that point, you know, when, when I met her, at one point in the night at the charity event, I'd said to her, you know, this is going to sound weird, but you know, I had actually almost you know called you and and sent you flowers, and she kind of said, oh, she's like you're the Browns player. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, my agent said she got a call from someone with the Browns about whether or not I had a boyfriend and, and all this stuff. And she's like, I did have a boyfriend at the time, but now I'm single. Um, so Amy Palsic had, had basically followed through kind of without my blessing and just checked out what the situation was. And, you know, again, at the time there, not, nothing really happened from it, but obviously it, it kind of just created this very genuine uh, trust right away between two athletes uh, meeting Alicia and I, uh, and, and just an under understanding of what our lifestyles were like and the kind of devotion we had to our sports. So it, it really worked out great. And like I said before, kind of the rest is history. It was long distance for a while, but we ended up finding a way to make it work. Gosh, who says the Browns front office never gets anything done, huh? <laughs> yeah, look, Amy's the best. That's why she's uh, risen to the point in which she has in her career with the Houston Texans. I mean, she's been a trailblazer for females out there and, um, you know, it, it was sad that they decided to ever move on from her because um, amongst many of the poor decisions Cleveland's made, uh, in my opinion, you know, Amy was, was right up there uh, amongst some of the some of the worst decisions as far as moving on from someone like that. She's just as good as it gets at her job and, and as far as a person. Uh, and obviously she had a, a lot to do with my wife and I uh, starting our relationship and, and now being happily married and having two kids. I love it. I love it. By the way, I, I was looking at your numbers the other day. Do you feel like you got a fair shake? I mean, you you only started 20 games in your entire career and only 12 with the Browns. That is not a lot for a first-round draft pick. No, and uh, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I got injured. Um, my my first year really getting to start and missing the last six games of that season where who knows 
you know, how that would have been. Um, and, and, you know, so that played a part the third year, you know, you got a new head coach, you got a, a general manager who gets fired halfway through, and then you've got another guy and, and Mike Holmgren comes in at the end. Um, but you know, that season didn't get off to a good start. You know, I get benched and then I get to come in and play the second half of the season. My numbers improved. And I think our offense and our team improved. I mean, heck we were four and four the last eight games, but, um, those, you know, with, with two games to play, I ended up having a Liz Frank injury in my left foot. And to be quite honest, I think at that point, uh, I don't know if I was ever the same really moving around, uh, or feeling as comfortable on my left foot. Uh, from that injury uh, at any point in my career. But, you know, I, I get traded once they decide to keep Eric Mangini for another year and then never got an opportunity. I mean, my first year in Denver, Josh McDaniels gets fired 12 games into it. Um, you know, the next year they hire John Fox, don't get an opportunity. That was the year we went 8-8, eight and eight, uh, won the AFC West on a tiebreaker where Tebow kind of finished out the second half of the season and our defense played phenomenal. Uh, ended up getting the wild card win and going to New England and getting our butts kicked. Uh, and that was it. And that was my last contract with them. Uh, I, you know, had an opportunity to sign back with Denver, but it was going to be to back up Peyton. And at that point, I wanted to try to go to a place where I felt like I had a better chance of playing. Um, so I signed with Kansas City. And that ended up being a situation that was another disaster. I mean, we were probably, I think we were 1-6 and six or 1-17 and 17 by the time I got to actually play. Um, which is, you know, it's incredibly hard to make the playoffs at that point in your season. Right. And, you know, my, my second start that I get, I get a concussion. I'm out for three more games. I get an op another opportunity to finish out the rest of the year and, you know, I had to play through some different things. But, you know, obviously not the type of season I wanted, not the type of season anyone in Kansas City wanted. That, you know, after that place was fired, then it was, it was tough to really catch on. And I think at that point in my career, you know, you only get one shot to be viewed as a starter. And then it seems like everyone just kind of gives up on that hope or what they think of you. And it's not like I was any different than the player that I was coming out uh, of college at Notre Dame. I mean, maybe with, with a couple injuries. Uh, and I'd only gotten more experience and more season. It's just no one was ever willing to invest um, the chance uh, to give me an opportunity. And that was you know, really where it came down to the end of my career when I was in training camp with the Dolphins. And I'd had a back injury in my seventh year. Um, that made it really problematic to, to train and, and to be able to consistently be out there and do the things I needed to do as a quarterback, you know, when you're throwing. Um, and I kind of, you know, I had the opportunity to do broadcasting after doing it for a year. I kind of realized what a fortunate chance it was to do what I was doing and kind of just, you know, jumped in uh, to the broadcasting career and, and never really looked back um, and, and obviously missed the game. But at the same time, I, I know if, if someone had given me a legitimate shot to even just compete for a backup job, I would have taken it in a heartbeat, but the business side of things, as far as the um, clauses in my contract, where, you know, if I injure my back again or my foot again, you don't get paid anything. And just the way they went about doing it at that point, uh, it just, it became extremely difficult to want to try to hang on to something like that. When you felt like there wasn't that, that dream wasn't really alive anymore. Continuing with Brady Quinn on ballers with babies. And, you know, Brady, this question might be a little bit strange, but, you know, along the lines of what we were just discussing, you, you've publicly admitted that the, the Browns were dysfunctional at, at every level. You're now the CEO of a growing family. Is there anything you learned from the Browns in terms of what not to do when it comes to leadership? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of things, really. And, and I wouldn't just put it on the Browns. I mean, there is some dysfunction in, in a lot of places I right. went to. I mean, heck, <laughs> the Denver Broncos were a phenomenal organization, but it didn't feel that way in, in 2010. I mean, the way things went, the way things orchestrated and everything that went on that season, it didn't feel that way. So, 
uh, but obviously different in, in 2011. Um, I think the things that I've learned really from, you know, whether it's my faults or mistakes as a leader or quarterback, or even in those organizations is for starters, communication. It is so vital to any relationship and that could be a business working relationship. That could be a marriage. That could be a friendship. You know, it's, I say this all the time It is easier now than ever in human history to communicate. However, we are the worst listeners and that's 50% of it. Yep. Like as much as we want to think about us talking and writing and texting and emailing is communicating, it's not. Because us reading and us listening to people when they speak is the other half of that. Like that's part of communication. And I don't feel like anyone actually now listens to people enough. I think we're so disconnected. I think a lot of times um, we don't, you know, if we speak to people either face to face or even on the phone, we would probably be much more courteous and, and gracious with the way we speak. And even in, in things where we, we disagree in times of conflict. It's almost, there's a dynamic. It's almost like think of driving in a car. Think of, you know, somebody cuts you off. The things that people will do in that situation, uh, they would never do face-to-face. You'd never actually do that to a person if you were just looking at them, speaking to them. Oh, man. And, and I'm guilty of that in the sense of, you know, I don't ever cuss at someone or flick them off. Like, I, I always feel like, you know, that's, that's one of those gestures that you know, unless you're going to fight someone, you don't say that or do that to someone. And it's weird because I don't know where you fall in this category, but I, I tend to use my horn. I'll give them a quick beep <laughs> if they're sitting there on their phone texting at, right. a, at a light and turns green and they're not going. And for whatever reason, that makes people irate. Like, <laughs> like, it's, like it's worse than me giving them the finger or cutting right. them out. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've driven up next to someone who's flicked me off or talked <laughs> trash, and I've just asked them to pull over and let's talk about it. And, and immediately you can kind of see someone's true colors because usually they don't want any part of it. Or usually when they see it's a bigger person, they're like, Oh no, what have I gotten myself right. into? <laughs> and, and that was always like relating back to my days playing was the same people. When you walked out from the locker room who were behind a fence or up in the stands yelling at you were the same people who were then trying to say nice things or trying to get an autograph or trying to get a moment of your time. Uh, and they'd never approach you if they actually saw how big you were or actually had to confront you in that manner. So I always find that that interesting. And it, it plays out in not just in sports, but it plays out when you're driving around, too. <laughs> um, you know, the first time I saw you play live, was it was the first time I'd ever been to Notre Dame Stadium. And, and what an incredible place. Um, it was yeah. the, it was the Bush Push game, by the way. I, I was there and and. I still remember everything, as I'm sure you do, even at a at a much much higher level. Everything still feels uh, like it all played out in in slow motion. How how do you think back on it? Are you over it yet? Uh, no, I, I don't think you ever get over it, and especially as a quarterback. You know, pe- like people who talk about the Atlanta Falcons, right, getting over the 28 to three lead they had in the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots, they're like, no, yeah, we've moved past it. No, you haven't. <laughs> You'll never move past it. Because even if, even if they win a Super Bowl, you know what they're going to think in the back of their mind? We could have had two. Could have two. We should have won two Super Bowls. And that's just human nature. You know, we, we are greedy people by nature. I mean, heck, I, I see it in my 16-month-old daughter. That thing, that thing will, will do anything she can to get her mom's attention or my attention or, or try to feed or whatever. And, and she's been in this world for 16 days. But, um, you know, I, I look back on it and remember and always think a couple different things. You know, we didn't have replay at that point in time. 
um, the Pac-12 did, but how it worked was whatever team came to play at Notre Dame Stadium, if they had replay, the uh, opposing team got the pick. So Pete Carroll elected not to implement replay, which would have came into place on two separate plays. Right. It would have probably came into play on the touchdown that I had running in to go uh, ahead. Because at that point, you know, if, you, if we had a replay, I don't know. Maybe they would have called me just short, or maybe they would have overturned the touchdown and, and made me at the one-inch line, whatever it would be. But why that would have mattered is because it would have taken more time off the clock. And I'm assuming at the one-inch line, we quarterback sneak and go score. Um, so that was somewhat significant of a call that even though it was a play that put us ahead, it left a lot of time on the clock. The next thing was the, the fumble before the actual Bush Bush play, you know, Matt fumbled, the ball got knocked out while he was inbounds and fumbled out of bounds. The clock shouldn't have stopped. And he got a very, very favorable spot. You know, that ball got knocked out, went out of bounds, probably at the three. And they ended up putting that ball at the one, right. which obviously gave them the opportunity to actually make a quarterback sneak. And and then I've always said this about the Bush push. You know, I would have hoped that, you know, Darius Walker, who was our running back at the time, if we were in that situation, I, I would have hoped it would have pushed me too. I mean, when you're on that field and you're competing, you know, a, a rule that one has since been changed. I mean, now that it's legal to push a player, you can't pull them across. Um, but you know, that's, that's something that you kind of have into the heat of the moment. You don't blame them, but you know, for me, it, it just, it's kind of the epitome of USC, you know, they're, they're willing to kind of cut some corners and do some things. And we've seen that in the past in order to try to get ahead and look, they're not the only one to do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it ended up impacting obviously our chances of winning that game and, and maybe going on to the national championship. I think it's funny that we're talking back to back, not only about that game, but your previous comment about people listening to each other, because you were quoted uh, some time ago saying, uh, you know, they cheated and, and they know they cheated and it was on a different podcast. And I wonder if people just read the comment or if they did, as you said, go actually listen to you. You know, it led to that Twitter beef with Leinert for a second. And I was wondering, I mean, were, were you sort of tongue in cheek on that or were you just straightforward? They cheated. No, it's pretty straightforward. Okay. I mean, look, as far as line, <laughs> like Matt and I have a very good relationship. Right, right. It, it's you know we we play it up a little bit on Twitter just because it's fun and and people enjoy that. I mean, heck, that's that's one of the reasons why you bring you you bring on a Notre Dame guy and a USC guy. I mean, you like to have the dynamic of the two, especially you know when when we have history like that with that game. Um, but no, I mean it, it's it's pretty apparent. I mean, it's not like anyone can't go back and watch that game and see that you know, there, there was cheating involved in order to make that play be successful. And and look, Notre Dame has been a, a part of a lot of controversial calls. So it kind of fits the history of Notre Dame, either in calls going against them or calls uh, going, you know, for them, whichever side of the fence you're on, it just kind of falls in line with the other, uh, or the other um, calls throughout the history of Notre Dame that, that have kind of, you know, been, you know, gone one way or another and have kind of been uh, controversial to say the least. Speaking of Notre Dame, let, let's go back to the early years for a second. Um, you know, born, as you said, uh, in or near Columbus. I mean, was Ohio State originally the plan? It, w- it wasn't originally the plan. It was a, a team that I rooted for growing up. I'd go up and, and try to, um, you know, try to go watch their games when I could. I just, I think for me, it wasn't the right fit from a lot of different you know, facets for starters, you know, 2003, when they won the national championship against Miami, you know, that offense wasn't something that was geared towards, you know, helping me eventually achieve my dream of going to the NFL. 
you look at Michigan, you look at Notre Dame, who at that point in time had Ty Willingham. They're running a West Coast offense that he had brought with him from Minnesota, um, from the Vikings that went against with Denny Green. So that, that was fitting more of what I wanted. I think the fact that it was 20 minutes from where I lived, there's good and bad to that. You know, I think as a, as a young man, you, you want to grow up a little bit. You've got to leave the nest, I think, in order to do that. Um, I, think, I think, not to get off on a tangent, but like one of the issues with, with young men today is when they have a problem, they have so many resources to find an answer. But communication, going back to that, is so easy. Yep. They just reach out to their parents. You know, like they don't have to necessarily figure it out for themselves. And, and that's something that I think is, is valuable. Like when you become an adult, and, and especially for those who end up losing their parents and they've got to figure it out on their own, there's no one helping you. Like when we took home our first daughter, they put us in a car with a, a live human being. And they're like, here you go. Have fun. Like figure it out. Right. And you can read whatever books you run, but it's not going to matter. Right. So, you know, for, for me, I, I think um, it, it just fit what I wanted from a player running that style of offense, given the, the history of Notre Dame quarterbacks going to the NFL, um, being four hours away, which was close, but not too close. And then the education standpoint combined with the spirituality. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable education. The networking is phenomenal, unlike any other out there. And, and I was someone who, again, we were an Irish Catholic family. You know, Brady Quinn from Dublin, Ohio, <laughs> and who ends up going to play quarterback for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I right. mean, you can't make up, make up a better story. Right. By the way, when, when they did put that live human being in the back of your car a couple of years ago, uh, wh- what, about seven miles an hour? Maybe did you break eight? Um, I, I was so tired. That first one was entirely <laughs> different. You know, my wife labored for 36 hours. Oh. Yeah, we had some, some complications, and uh, it was – I was – I, I can't even remember driving home, which is it's sad to admit, but I was so tired and so out of it. Um, yeah, it was either seven miles an hour or, or 15 or 20, whatever it was. Um, but it, it, felt, it, it felt like it went by fast because it was a blur to me. I mean, I was completely out of it. Oh, man. Uh, you know, you talk a lot about that upbringing, the, the background, how it might have shaped you. I, I'm interested by this, too. You, so you have an older sister and a younger sister. I have an older sister. That was enough at times to kind of light my fire. She was a senior when I was a freshman in high school. She did not let me forget that for one day. So uh, I wonder, what characteristics do you have because of that family dynamic? That's interesting. You know, I, I felt like I had it easy because of my older sister. I mean, she was the type of student that every teacher loved. Everyone loved, um, you know, you're kind of people pleaser, which can be good and bad. But as far as older sister goes, she was so loving. She was as smart as it gets, um, taking all the AP courses back when she was in high school. So it was almost like I had a lot to live up to because of the standard that she had set. So from a competitive standpoint, at least academically, um, I, I, I had, you know, I had my work cut out for me. I, mean, I, I really did have to make sure that I was following in her footsteps in that way. Um, but also it was like not really being able to ever feel like you could, you could just enjoy yourself or, you know, be that stupid teenager because I didn't want to let, let everyone down. You know, I, I didn't want to be some goofball uh, brother of my older sister who had so many glowing remarks, you know, was the homecoming queen and just everyone loved her. So I think from, from that standpoint, you know, we, I, I just, I kind of felt like I had to fall in line in some ways and just kind of follow her lead. Uh, but in the same way, kind of carve out my my own identity and my own uh, success. And obviously that came more athletically 
as opposed to her her, her academic performance. I love that. I love that. And then, you know, uh, by the way, speaking of your sisters, your other sister, your younger one, Kelly, I, I read that, that you know, awful story of Jack Johnson, her, her husband's parents putting him through all kinds of financial issues. I know that he's had some new contracts since then. Are they Are they okay now? Yeah, they will be okay. Uh, you know, I'm not privy to all the information. Sure. I believe they're still technically in bankruptcy because of um, everything that had gone on between his parents. And but it, it's just look, it's a sad situation. I mean, being a parent now and you know feeling the love that I do for my children, I, I could not ever imagine uh, his parents putting him in the situation that they have, and um, you know how, how selfish that is on on their part. And, and maybe there's more there. Maybe there's some mental, you know, illness or something going on there. But uh, it's it's incredibly sad. Uh, but they they're definitely going to be in much better shape. You know, very fortunate that you know they found out about everything because um, this had been going on for a while, right. and it, it could have continued to go on if they didn't find out about you know what his parents were doing. So uh, they're very fortunate to be in the situation now where they can go play for a great team, and they're still going to be very very wealthy. Uh, and, and he's going to get to play the sport he loves. I can't believe you're only 33 years old. Do you still feel like you're just getting started? Well, I am in a sense in broadcasting. Right. Um, I, I think the, the scary thing for me in transitioning from uh, football to broadcasting was it wasn't what I prepared for. I, I went to Notre Dame and was a finance and a poli sci major, thinking that if football didn't work out, I'd go to get, go to go get my JD MBA and um, either you know potentially practice law or you know, go and, and work maybe in private equity or someone in the business world where I feel like that educational background would help me. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is you, you know, you kind of prepare for the worst and you hope for the best, right? But no one talks about preparing for like what's in the middle. And that, that I think was the difficulty for me was, you know, I get seven accredited seasons. I mean, went into my eighth year with Miami and training camp and got some calls that year, but nothing really came from it while I was broadcasting. Um, so, you know, I find myself in my low 30s and trying to figure out, like, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to continue broadcasting? You know, um, I had a lot of very candid conversations with Jacob Ullman at Fox. You know, he was the one that discovered me there and, and you know, brought me on. And, and I was very – I mean, I signed a contract and called games for Fox and told them that if I get an opportunity to go play in the NFL, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. Right. And I had actually worked out with the Patriots. And then, and then actually two days later, I worked out with the Dolphins, and the Dolphins signed me on the spot. And at that point, I, I called Jacob before I even signed. And I just said, hey, I'm not sure what's going to happen from this, but you know, this is something that I'd like to do. And I, I made sure to keep him in the, in the loop the entire time. And I think that kind of paid off some dividends later on because he appreciated the honesty uh, throughout the whole process of just being in training camp. And, and even when I knew I was going to get cut, because, Mark, I'll tell you this much. The second day I was there, I was like, they're going to cut me. They brought me in as a camp arm. Aside from the fact that it was a terrible contract, that I kind of had to sign if I wanted to play. Uh, I knew right away that they didn't have any intention of, of letting me compete and do the things I would have wanted to do. So I pretty much called him the second day and said, Hey, they're going to release me at the end of camp. Uh, so I was like, we got to figure out something to kind of get me ready. If there's not going to be an opportunity to call a game. Cause I had Minnesota at TCU week one of the college football season. How'd you know, by the way, what, what was it you saw when you got there where you're like, yeah, this isn't going to last. Well, I mean, when you, I played for seven years, so you know, you know when you're not getting any reps and the only reps you're getting are a few scout team reps where 
they're having you just throw to the circled guy who's, who's on the card that <laughs> they really don't have any intentions on caring what you look like or seeing if you can handle their offense or any of that. So uh, like I said, like, like I, I watched other guys be that guy and I realized like, Oh, this is why the contract was so bad uh, in the sense of, you know, putting in these clauses where if I get injured again, I don't get paid anything because they don't really care about me. They just want me to be here to help give them some reps in camp. And I think I had like, I went four for four in like one preseason game where they gave me some reps in. So look, it was what it was. I think that staff got fired after that year. So (laughs) I I didn't really feel too bad about it. By the way, I have to ask you this totally off the subject. 10 is my favorite number. Why, why'd you wear it? So there's a a couple of meetings in my mind. Um, I've always tried to be a perfectionist. There's kind of good and bad that comes with that, but 10 is kind of that number that everyone thinks of. Uh, and then and growing up, I actually played soccer first and I played football and then I eventually transitioned to football. I just, I liked the physicality of the sport, uh, but 10 usually, you know, the best player on any soccer team. So early on, it was kind of those two things. Um, and then as I got into high school, we actually had a tradition of quarterbacks wearing the number 10. So it was like kind of a big deal. And if you're the starting quarterback, and I, I guess I should say, if you're the starting quarterback, if you're any good, you, you usually wore the number 10. So a guy before me named Chad Jenkins, who went and played at Army and actually went on and served our country, was phenomenal, phenomenal mentor uh, when I was younger. He kind of led the path. And then a guy named Brian Camp, who went down uh, to play quarterback at Georgia Tech, although I think he, he was athletic enough where he transitioned positions. But he was number 10, kind of led the way there. Uh, and then I was kind of the next in line. And then afterwards, there was a couple guys who picked the number, but then some have kind of strayed away from that. All right, home stretch with Brady Quinn on Ballers with Babies. Let's stick to sports. Uh, Brady, uh, Baker Mayfield is now the next in line. Next big thing for the Cleveland Browns. You've been there. What's he facing? I think the biggest thing he's facing is he's got a head coach that has to win question mark on how many games this year. Yeah. Otherwise, he's gone. And Todd Haley might be gone. And, you know, Greg Williams is gone. So the reason I bring that up is even though John Dorsey, I think is, is going to be fine. Even if they make a head coaching change is there's going to be a change in offense, which is tough to start over again. You know, he's, he's learning an offense that is far you know, more difficult than anything he ever had in college. And he's got to learn new verbiage. He's got to understand how to speak it, how they wanted to do it. And then a year from now, it could be an entirely different group of coaches. that are asking him to do something entirely different. So that's the difficulty of Cleveland is for starters, they don't seem to have any sort of continuity. And I don't know how many wins they have to have, but I think Baltimore will be better this year. I think Cincinnati will be better. And obviously Pittsburgh is one of the best teams in the AFC. So it's an uphill battle from that perspective. And even though they've only won one game the past two years, if they win five games, even though that's a huge improvement for them, it's not going to be viewed that way. You know, it's going to be Hugh Jackson needs to leave. He's won six games in three seasons. Should Baker play this year or, or should at least for now until further notice it be Tyrod Taylor's gig? I would say all rookies should sit. Now it depends on how long. I mean, if, if Tyra gets injured, you got to play him. He's going to be your next best option. I mean, Drew Sam's got some game experience, but you know, there's a reason they drafted Baker number one overall. Um, I just, I, I think the NFL game is so different from college football. I mean, for starters, not to sound like rudimentary, but you know, the hashes are, are closer. But what that means is when you have to throw more balls in the middle of the field, you have to throw the ball further to get to the sideline. You have to throw the ball further to get completions. When you have the ball in the hash and you want to throw the, to the boundary, that's a really close throw. It's, it's kind of an easy completion. And then if you think about it this way, when in college football, when you want to throw to the field, there's so much more space that you can give 
more space to your wide receivers to get open. And it makes it a little bit easier to complete a football again, as compared to the NFL, where there's not really field and boundary. I mean, you're talking about a very, you know, small difference between left hash, middle and right hash. So, um, you know, from, from that standpoint, it puts more pressure on you as a passing quarterback to be able to complete more difficult passes. The, the next thing is, you know, just the amount that's put on your plate as far as decision-making. Most offenses do a lot in regards to audibles, check with me's and all that. And that was something that he didn't have to do at Oklahoma. Um, so he's got to learn that. He's got to learn how to prepare. I mean, each week, you know, you'll go up against a defense that'll show you, you know, three different things the three weeks before. And they show you something you've never seen before when you play them because, you know, they're looking at your personnel differently. And so you've got to make in-game adjustments and handle all that. Whereas college, you're limited with your, your time and preparation. So you can only do so much. And, and that's where, you know, the NFL is just a different game. And it takes a while to understand your process, how you prepare as a quarterback. And that's why I think he should sit for at least a portion of the season um, and to, to allow himself to figure that stuff out and, and then move on. And plus, look, if, if they're not playing for anything at the end of the year, you know, you got guys injured. Sometimes guys pack it in. That's not the best situation either to go in as, as a rookie quarterback, especially if you're not prepared and you don't know what you're doing. Hey, what kind of teammate is uh, Tim Tebow? Look, he was, you know, a hard worker. I thought, you know, as far as a teammate goes, you know, he, he's going to be competitive with you and he's going to work hard. Um, you know, I, there, there's so many elements of being a, a, you know, team player, right? And that is, you know, is, is he going to be there to help other guys? Uh, maybe. I mean, it depends if, if it's going to help him probably. Um, you know, was he, was he at a bunch of our O-line dinners? With the quarterbacks and all that, no. Um, you know, he wasn't hanging around a lot of the guys in the free time. There was sometimes you'd see him out or he'd maybe be at a team event. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't a bad teammate. But, it, you know, and I said this back, you know, before, um, you know, I want to say our, our, you know, I don't know if it was 2012 or 2011, but it might have been before 2012. But, you know, with all the, the speculation of when he'd start this and that, um, and with some of the stuff that was going on in Denver, it's like, you can stop it. Cause all you have to say to the media is, you know, Hey, um, you know, I, I, I know my, my time may come. I'm working hard trying to get to that point in time, but at, at this moment, you know, Kyle Oren's our starter. So, you know, he's the guy that I'm support. He's the guy that I'm going to help prepare. And, and I don't really ever remember hearing him say that. Um, and, and that's, that's where I think it makes it difficult is once you get in the season, everyone's got to know their role. And, you know, I, I just think he didn't ever want to take on um, embodying that role. And, you know, as tough as it is, because look, I, I'll be the first to tell you, I hated, I hated being a backup. Like that was the other portion of, of getting to my eighth year and saying, if no one's going to give me the opportunity to even compete for a starting job, why am I doing this? I'd rather move on to the next step of my life. Like I love football, but football is a game you play. It's not one you stand on the sidelines and hold a clipboard. I might as well just get into coaching if that's the case. Um, so you know, I can understand that perspective and that standpoint for him wanting to be in the starting spot, but that's every backup quarterback. At least it should be. I mean, they all should want to start. Um, and so you've got to be, you've, you've got to treat the situation. Like I hope I would handle it. You know, if I was the starting guy, like the backup would say that about me, you know, whereas if Tim was in there and he wasn't playing well and they're clamoring for someone else, you know, I'd sit there and say, you know, Hey, look, Tim's our guy. Uh, he's our starter. He's, he's the one they want to go with. And, you know, he went through some rough, rough stretches. And when people would ask me about it, I would just say, we're just trying to help him get better. You know, we're trying to do all we can to help, you know, put in situations to help him get better. I was never one to kind of be mum and, or be quiet about it or say like, yeah, I hope they give me a chance to start. 
you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sitting here waiting for it. Uh, so I, I think that was one thing that, you know, I just remember being in the quarterback room and feeling tension. Um, and, and I thought he could have helped alleviate some of that if he had just kind of spoken up and said, Hey, Kyle's our guy. And when my opportunity comes, it comes But right now I'm helping him to prepare each week to the best he can be. Interesting. You know, and, and by the way, when he first started playing baseball, it, it, I think most people were like, this is ridiculous. It's a, a publicity stunt. He's now starting to find some, some actual success, uh, even statistically. But I wonder, you know, especially not just the football community, the college football community, you're still so ingrained there. And that's where he made his name. How, how is that world viewing this baseball effort? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's a dream for him to play, right? I mean, he was a really good baseball player coming out of high school up at what I think Bulls or uh, wherever he went up in, in Northern Florida. But, you know, he's, look, he's making strides. He's getting better at it. I don't know that anyone who's in the broadcast industry, industry kind of like says, oh, he's got one foot out the door. Uh, I just, I think they realize he's fortunate enough to put himself in a position to try to play baseball and still be able to have another career and that he's looking at if things don't work out. Uh, and I think if, if people get upset about it, it's more out of jealousy, you know, because they wish they could do the same thing. Like, I, I personally, as long as he goes on TV and does a good job and is prepared and it doesn't impact him, like, he can do whatever he wants as far as trying to play another professional sport. I don't care if it's baseball right. or, you know, whatever else it wants to be. If he wants to go into, you know, represent the United States and bobsledding, right? He's, he's a good athlete. He's powerful. <laughs> He, 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 I mean, seriously, there's a lot of football players who transition to that. Um, you know, whatever it may be, as long as he does a good job, it doesn't matter. I think if he starts going on set and doesn't look prepared, that would be a different story. That's where you'd say to yourself, okay, like maybe this is getting in the way of it, and maybe he just needs to focus on one instead of trying to do both. Brady, this was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for doing it. Really great to have you. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. 